All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Course Creator Community Podcast. I'm your host, Jono, and I am super excited because we've got an absolute rock star on the line. Now, I know I say that every week about every guest, but this person actually is. He's probably, oh, I think he might even be the only person I know that sold his online course business. There may be a handful of others, but he's one of the the few that's been able to do that successfully and for a very decent amount of, fun, of of our money as well. He can't obviously tell us the exact revenue, but to my understanding, it's in the, the eight figure mark. So super excited to have this conversation conversation. It's the one and only Mr. Jason Dion. Jason, how are you, mate? Hey, Jono. Great to be back on your podcast again, man. <laughs> yes. Great to have you on. Um, let's give the listeners a bit of context, Jason, before we get into, you know, the sales process and if people look into the same, what they need to do, give us a little bit of context. Who are you? What did you get? What course did you do? How'd you get into it? Give us the start point. Yeah, great. Uh, my name is Jason Dion and I am the lead instructor now at Dion Training. Uh, Dion Training Solutions is a company, uh, you can find us at deontraining.com and we focus on IT, cybersecurity and project management certifications. So we cover everything from uh, data analysis to project management, service management, uh, cybersecurity, penetration testing, cloud architectures, all that kind of stuff. Uh, at the time I sold my company, we had about 35 to 40 different courses that I taught. Um, at the time I had, uh, myself and two other instructors, I had a team of about 20 to 25 people. Uh, and we have reached, uh, just about a million students around the world across 190 plus countries. Uh, and we've done that by having a kind of a bifurcated model in our business. Uh, I know a lot of your, your folks are course creators that use a funnel and they have like one product to sell. And so they work through the funnel, uh, which, which works great. Um, if you have one product, it's very clear messaging, very easy. Uh, for us, we were definitely different. Um, I backed into this career. I didn't come at it with a plan. I didn't start this going, I'm going to make a million dollar course business or anything like that. Um, I was working as a part-time college uh, adjunct professor for a couple of colleges. I was teaching cybersecurity courses. Uh, I enjoyed it. My day job actually switched and they moved me into a travel role. And when they did that, I couldn't teach in college anymore. So for my last class, I literally set up a microphone on my podium. I recorded my last class. I recorded my voice over PowerPoint slides. And I took that and I put it on YouTube for my students to be able to reference after I had left because I was no longer going to be at the college. And it was found on YouTube by other people. They started liking it. I started making some revenue on it on YouTube. And I thought, hmm, you know, if I can get this up to like five or $10,000 a month, I won't have to get a real job anymore. I can quit my day job. So I started doing some more of that online teaching stuff. And uh, somebody a couple months into it goes, hey, why aren't you using Udemy? And I'm like, what's Udemy? I don't know what that is. And then they introduced me to Udemy, which for those who don't know, it's a online course selling platform, udemy.com. Uh, and they're known for being a very low cost environment. So most courses there are 10, uh, all the way up to about $200, but most of the time it's between 10 and $50. And I put my course there and within the first month I made a whopping $58 and I was like, woohoo. Uh, and most people were like, oh my God, $58, that sucks. But to me, I was like, that's awesome. Because on YouTube at the time, I was only making about $50 a month and I had taken six months to try to get there. And at this point I did this and with almost no effort got to $58. The next month it was like $160. The next month was like 280 and it kept growing and growing. And within about 10 months, I had gotten it up to about five to $10,000 per month, which was my goal to try to hit in five years. Uh, and then the company just kind of kept growing from there. And that's kind of where I started learning about this whole idea of online and how it scales really well, especially when you have pre-recorded video, because you record it once and whether you sell it to one person or a million people, it still is the same amount of effort, um, but you can pay it a million times. And, and that's essentially what happened with us is I had a very popular topic uh, and in cybersecurity, obviously is a very big field right now and very popular. And so it just kind of kept growing. And so I used Udemy as the way to get into this business. And I did that for about two years. Uh, after about two years, there was a change in one of our, our 
certifications that we teach. And they required us to now sell the exam certification uh, voucher with the training. And the voucher itself cost us at the time about $350. Well, the top price on Udemy is $200 and they keep half the revenue for bringing the client. So I'm like, well, can't sell that on Udemy anymore or I would go out of business. So I pulled that off and put it on my own website. And that really started the whole DionTraining.com website and how we started getting a lot of massive sales there. And so now we actually have a, a bifurcated model where um, a lot of our courses are on Udemy and then a lot of them are on Udemy and our site. Uh, and some of them are only on our site. And the ones on our site are higher level courses. So it's a little bit more handholding. You get hands-on instruction, you get the textbook, you get the exam voucher and stuff like that. And so they sell for anywhere between $300 and $1,000. Uh, on Udemy, our courses there still sell for $10 to $50. So we have both and we support both. Uh, and it, it attracts two different audiences and two different members. Um, and we're not in competition with each other either, which is kind of interesting since you're selling the same product at two very different price points. But we can talk more about that as well. But that's kind of the overview of who I am and what I did. Uh, I did that for about six years. Uh, I had a couple of people come out and offer to buy our company over those over that time. Um, but it wasn't until the last year that I really started um, being interested in, in the idea of selling the company. And we ended up getting three people who were interested in us. Uh, we kind of put them all in a bidding war against each other. We chose the one that we liked the best, um, which actually was not the highest price because it was a better culture fit. And we sold to them and uh, we sold to them back on May 12th. And so it's now been about 10 months since we, or I guess uh, six to 10 months, six to eight months, somewhere around there uh, since we sold. Um, and uh, it's, it's been going really well and I've been enjoying it. <laughs> Love it. Well, let's break down some of that there. So throughout that six years, you had a few offers from people wanting to buy the course. You weren't interested. Why not then? Why in the last year were you interested? Yeah. So uh, originally the first couple offers we got were very, very low ball offers. Right. Gotcha. And it's not their fault that they were low ball. Um, it's just that they were bit, they were pricing it based on where we were at that time. Mm. Uh, and at that time, uh, up until the first five years, the company was really me. Uh, it was me. And then it was me and my wife. And then it was me and a handful of VAs. And mm. so, you know, we had less than 10 people and the only instructor was me. So yeah. if I got hit by a bus, um, or, you know, fell off the dock and, and drowned or something, um, there was no business anymore. And so they were, they were factoring that into their bid. Right. And so if you're doing a million dollars a year in sales and you're profiting, let's say, I don't know, $800,000 a year, um, they might look at that and go, you know what, with the fact that it's all based on Jono alone, and he's yeah. the only guy teaching, um, that's really risky for us. So we're not going to pay you more than two X or three X your multiple. Yeah. So in this case, if it was 800,000, we might pay you, you know, $2 million, right. You know, yeah. it's kind of between two and three and you might go, you know what, if I'm making $800,000 a year, why would I sell it? I can just yeah. not do anything and turn off the lights and go home and let it run itself. And I would still make that money over the next two or three years anyway. And that's kind of what my philosophy was. Mm. Um, so my wife and I, at the time, we had just had this idea of we would run this until it was no longer fun. And then we would just walk away and let it kind of fizzle out. And, and, and that would be it. Um, but then as we started to get bigger, and we had a bigger team. Uh, by the time I sold, like I said, we had about 20, 25 people. Uh, I have a responsibility to those people. Like if I quit, go home, they mm -hmm. don't get paid anymore, right? So I was like, okay, I need to find a way that this becomes sustainable for the long-term for them. Uh, and it's not really about me. So one of the big driving factors for me to sell was to stabilize the work environment for my people for the long-term. So it's not just relying on me. Um, the other reason why I started getting interested in selling was we had grown to a point where we were getting big enough that we were starting to have to deal with a lot of hassles that I didn't want to deal with. Um, yeah. So if you are a small course creator and you're doing $100,000 a year, you're probably not over any of the VAT limits for any country. But mm -hmm. when you start doing a couple of million dollars a year in sales, uh, you start getting you know, the country of Luxembourg going, hey, uh, you've sold more than $20,000. You need to start collecting VAT over here. And then the UK is like, well, you're over 80,000. We need it over here. And you start getting all these legal stuff that comes up that becomes a real hindrance. And I started finding that 
I started this whole thing because I love teaching. Right. Yeah. And, and now it was, I was so focused on all these legalities and contracting. I was spending 90% of my time running the business instead of doing what I loved. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things when I sold the company I was like, look, I'm happy to stay on, but I don't want to run and be the CEO anymore. I want somebody yeah. else to come in who can handle all that. And I'll go back to teaching because that's what I love. Um, and so that was one of the big motivations for me to draw, uh, to, to sell. And then the other one, just to be honest is, you know, if you build up a business, uh, most of us who are entrepreneurs, your business becomes your biggest asset. It's like in, in normal life, your biggest asset is your house, right? But yeah. you can't eat your house. I can give you a million dollar house today, Jono, but you could still starve tomorrow if you have no income coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that happens when we have a business because we've put our whole heart and our soul and we've made this great company. And you know, this company may be worth 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, $30 million, whatever it is, but you can't eat that. You can't borrow money against it because it has no value as a private business until you sell it. And so for me, it was one of those things like I looked at my whole portfolio of what I owned as far as real estate and stocks and bonds. And so much of my net worth was tied up in this one thing, like 80% of my net worth was in this company. And by cashing out, I was able to take that out and then diversify it into stocks, into cars, into houses, whatever else I wanted to do with it. Um, and kind of take some of those chips off the table and go, yeah, I won. Okay. I, I won at the gambling table. Let's pull it off before the market crashes or, cause you never know what's going to happen. You know, yeah. the business could go to zero tomorrow. I mean, AI is coming out and who knows yeah. what that's going to, five years. Right. And, and that was, I sold before AI really got to be a big thing, but it was one of those things that kind of, you know, as I'm looking at the horizon, I'm like, eh, it's, a, it's an uncertain market. Maybe I'll, I'll take some chips off the table and put that back in my bank account. <laughs> at what point were you, were you seriously thinking about it? Were you all like, you know what? I do want to sell this in a year, in two years, in three years. Let's take a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Um, I would say it was probably um, end of 2021. Uh, We had gotten an offer from a company and it was a pretty good offer. It was like uh, 4X revenue, uh, which is pretty, you know, uh, pretty, pretty normal in this industry. Um, And I thought that was a pretty good offer. Um, But at the time, I thought it could have been higher. Right. And I was like, Hey, why is it so low? And they were really nice. Like, look, um, you know, we'll tell you exactly what, what you're doing wrong and, and what you need to do if you wanted, like we could double your offer, but you got to do these things. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, great. awesome. Tell me, please. I'm interested. <laughs> um, cause I'm like for that number, I, cause honestly at the time we were up to, I think around 4 million a year in revenue, something like that. Yeah. So they were offering us something like, I think 10 or 12 million. So it was like, it was like three X revenue. Um, yeah. and they're like, look, the big problem is you only have one instructor, you. Um, you have no proprietary technology. Your entire tech stack is built on open off the shelf technology. So we were using things like keep for email marketing. We were using things like fresh desk for our support. We were using things like uh, brilliant for exams. We're using thinkific for our LMS. Right. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but you're not going to get any kind of premium value because you have no premium software. Um, mm-hmm. so like, look, if you start making your own software, your own automations, your own LMS, something that we can hang our shingle on and go, this is proprietary code. Now you have a higher value. So that was number two. So like, look, yeah. you need to go out and hire at least two new instructors. So you have three people because uh, you don't want to just hire one because if he quits, now you're back in the same position. Yeah. Uh, so hire two. So I did that. Uh, you need to build a uh, technology. So we hired a tech team and we did that. Um, and then the third thing was like, hey, you know, you're doing so much. 
uh, in direct to consumer, but you're not doing any business to business and you're not doing any subscription sales and subscriptions get higher revenues, business to business gets higher revenues because they tend to be stickier. Most companies, once they start using your product, they're not going to leave unless you give them a reason to leave. And so those are the three things we focused on. And over the next 12 months, um, you know, we weren't ready to sell yet. I was thinking, oh, you know what? Give it, give it 12 to 24 months. I'll hire some instructors. I'll put out some courses. I'll hire a tech team. We'll build our own LMS. Uh, and we will also um, focus on business to business. And, you know, again, we're a small team, so we're doing what we could. We hired the instructors that worked well. About uh, nine months later, we had a company reach out to us and said, hey, we're interested. Um, at the same time, about two weeks later, I got another email. Hey, we're interested. And about a week later, I got another one said, hey, we're interested. I'm like, okay, I got three that are now interested. Let me talk to them. And we went through the due diligence and, and they all made their offers and we started playing them against each other a little bit. Did you, uh, advertise, so did you advertise I want to sell this? No. Or was this just random? These were, all, these were all random cold emails that I got um, because wow. it, it, in our industry, uh, in what I teach, there was basically uh, four big people who teach the certification I teach. And then there's yep. a bunch of unknowns. Um, so, you know, Mike Myers is one of the big guys uh, at Total Summit. Seminars. Professor Messer at professormesser.com. James Messer, he's another big guy. Uh, Jason Dion from Dion Training, that's me. Uh, <laughs> I was a big guy. Uh, and then the fourth guy only taught one of the courses we taught. He was really big in that space, and his name was Daryl Gibson. Um, Daryl, unfortunately, passed away of cancer uh, last year, uh, and his wife sold his company to somebody else to take over. Um, Mike Meyer sold his company about three or four months before I did, or five or six months before I did. Uh, and Professor Messer, I think he sold out a couple of years ago. So I was like the last one on the market, too, yeah. in this niche. Yeah, and yeah. so it, it kind of, you know, last mover advantage kind of helped me out. And so as these people started going out, they're like, hey, we want to be in cybersecurity. When they go to Reddit, they go, who who's the best cybersecurity instructors? Mm -hmm. Like Jason kept coming up as one of the top three posts every time. It was Jason, Messer, and, and Myers. And so um, they reached out and they said, hey, we're interested. Uh, we started talking. I said, well, you know, if we get to a number that I can agree with, great. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to sell at that mm -hmm. point, but I was looking at someday selling. And at the time it, it ended up, we got to a number that we were all happy with and we decided to sell. And for me, it really was more of the, I had other things I wanted to pursue. I also didn't want to deal with all the legality and the, yeah. the big uh, stuff. And I was ready to pass it on to somebody else. I really enjoy the building of the business. But once you get to that seven figure uh, and closing it on eight fingers, you start getting into different problem sets that I just was not equipped to handle or didn't want to learn how to handle. Because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. Uh, and I was just running this the way I was running a small business. And now it had gotten really big. And I was like, eh, it's time for somebody else to take care of this. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, let's break down some of these. So... Those three things. The first one was you hired new instructors. That kind of makes sense, you know, any business. Yep. Um, it is interesting in the course creator space, though. Maybe not for yourself, but especially for a lot of the listeners that, you know, they've got um, a course on how to play piano or you know, how to grow yep. your Instagram or whatever it may be. Any tips for those people? Do they bring someone on and teach them their IP or how do you, what yeah. tips would you give there? So there's a couple of ways you can do this. And I think the first thing is you have to stop and think about your business, about what do you want from your business, right? Because there are really you know, two different ways to run your business. One is as a lifestyle business, and one is as a sellable business that you are not a part of, right? Um, and if you want a lifestyle business, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I have a lot of friends who do the exact same thing I do on Udemy, and they make you know a million or $2 million a year. And for yeah. them, that's a lifestyle business because it's them and their wife and maybe one or two VAs and they can run it. And one day when they're no longer going to run it, they're going to turn off and walk away. And mm. all that time they're making good money. Uh, and if you're making, you know, between a hundred thousand and a million dollars a year, you're probably in a lifestyle business. Yeah. No one's really going to be that interested in buying you because you're too small um, at that point. 
And that's okay because you're still having a job that you can enjoy. Uh, for instance, I know you've had on your podcast before, Jock Hopkins, yep. who is the, uh, the the piano guy, piano in 21 days. He also runs online course guy. Uh, and Jock is a great example of a lifestyle business on the piano side. His mm-hmm. piano program, he has a great funnel. It's dialed in. He spends a couple hours a week on his course. If that, he filmed it six times over the last eight years and he films it and leaves it and that's it. And he's done, right? And for him, he loves the marketing side. He loves the funnel side. And that's where he spends all of his time. But he has a team that does all of the customer support, and he's really removed from that business on a day-to-day basis, and he might spend you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day on it. And that's a great lifestyle, and he can jump on a plane and fly wherever he wants, and that's wonderful. Um, but it's not a sellable business because right now, Piano in 21 Days is Jock in every single video. And so if somebody was going to buy it, they would want to see Jock in maybe half the videos and somebody else in the other half of the videos. Or mm-hmm. now it's more about piano and not about Jock, right? Um, and, and I think that's a good example. Now, his business actually could be sold because it is not jockhopkins.com it's yeah. you know 21days.com and so it could be removed from him and he could refilm it with the new owner and that kind of stuff so that's one way to think about this mm. uh, when i started this my original website was jasondion.com yeah. don't do that if you want to sell your mm. business you can't sell your name.com because you are that person right uh, mm. it makes it really really difficult um, and so over time as i decide hey i'm going to bring in other instructors i called it dion training because i'm really really uh, creative and yeah. naming as you can tell <laughs> And I really wouldn't recommend that either if you're yeah. planning on selling your business one day because now your name is associated with this thing. And there's also risk for the buyer because if I go do something stupid, like uh, you know, mm. uh, I'll bring up the Jared from Subway example, right? Uh, if, if somebody becomes a pedophile and your name's on the brand, now that name Dion is tainted. Nobody's going to want to buy from them because I did something stupid, right? Um, so that's a risk for the buyer and that will devalue your, your, your sale because of that. So reputation is important. So mm. when you think about your business, think about, do I want a lifestyle business or do I want a saleable business? If you want a lifestyle business, none of this really matters. If you want a saleable business, you need to build in redundancies. You need to build in, uh, whether that's instructors, whether that's backend support, uh, whether that's the people who can run it if you uh, fall off a bus. Uh, you know, you always think about the, the worst case scenario, right? If you fall off the bus or, or get hit by a bus, who's going to run your business tomorrow? If mm-hmm. your business would die tomorrow, if you died, you have a lifestyle business. You don't have a sellable business. And so that's really the big thing that a buyer is going to be looking for. Second, they're going to be looking at growth. They're going to be looking at revenue. They're going to be looking at profitability. They're going to be looking at your industry. And if they want to be in that thing, um, I know you come from a, from a sports uh, background, Jono, right? I am not a sports guy. As you can tell, I'm a little flabby around the midsection. I'm not buying your business because I would be a horrible representation of here. You should go buy my course and look how awesome I am. I don't have the body for that. Right. Um, and, and so there is an important thing, or, you know, I've seen a lot of people who have a very focused business around a niche audience that may not sell to other audiences. Uh, for example, uh, one of the people I used to work with, she had a business that really supported working with women, uh, and specifically minority women, uh, to grow their businesses. Well, um, the funny thing is she ended up working for my business uh, and I was her only white male client. Uh, and eventually she ended up closing out her business and working for me full time. But you know, if she wanted to sell that business, it's a lot harder because I, as a white guy, can't go mm. in and buy that business and run it because that would be really disingenuous of, I am a minority woman trying to help minority women. I'm not, yeah. I'm a white guy, right? Yeah, so yeah. those are the kind of things you have to think about is where you put yourself and then you can kind of figure out where you want to go as you're, as you're figuring that out. That's great. Because there's a few things there. I think with any um, business, it's easier at the start to make it lifestyle, right? It's oh, yeah. so much easier. You have a personal Instagram, a personal brand. It's more personal. Everything's way easier at the start. And I did that. And it grows yeah. fast too because you're personal and people like connecting with people, not brands. <laughs> yep, exactly. And the other thing is a lot of people teach that. You know, hey, you yep. want to be successful on Instagram? It's per- people, exactly what you said. People connect with people. Here's the stats. Yep. It works better there, which is true at the start. Um, yep. But if the goal is long-term, it's not necessarily like that. But I like what you did. 
that's a good because it can be hard to kind of go from jasondion.com to just random business name. But I like yep. how you went Jason Dion, Jason Dion.com, Dion And then you could almost tweak that if you want, you know, the logo yep. changes the same or whatever. So I think that's a good thing there. But I think the message there is also for people just to start thinking about it, you know, because there yep. might even be little changes you can do. Like, let's even say, for example, let's use fitness education online, um, my, my online course business as an example. Maybe it could be from the, from the stage of, okay, I started an Instagram as John Petrohilos, but now maybe it's John Petrohilos dash fitness education online. And then now it's just fitness education online. So, you know, there's ways you can kind of do it there. But I think that's a great message. Um, and, and your business is a great example, right? Because your name of fitness education online. Yep. I can buy that and run that and nobody yeah. has to see me. I can just hire a guy at the gym. Who's a really good workout guy and go, come over here. You're going to be my face, my company yeah. uh, and I can buy it from you and, and he can run it and that's fine. Right. And so exactly. an outside investor could take it, but if you were Jono.com or Jonopetrolis.com, like nobody else can buy that. Right. Cause you are the guy, or if I did buy it, I'm going to require you to stay on for five years as we do a transition and start working through, you know, fitness online by Jono. And then Jono is no longer in there at all. Right. And we can work that, but you're going to be devalued or you're going to be held hostage to working mm. for me during an earnout period. That's very, very long because of that. Yeah. Love it. And it's, um, and I think that like instructor you mentioned there, but I'm guessing that's with every aspect of the business, right? It needs to, because oh, let's say there's someone, yeah, there might be someone that's like, oh, that's fine. I've got other people teaching the courses, but I do all the sales and the marketing and the admin, like, all that needs to be covered and the business to run essentially 100% without you, right? Well, you can sell it while you're still running the business and operating the business, um, but you have to make sure that it, they can see a very clear path to how they can get you out of there quickly uh, because they don't want to be held hostage by you. Uh, and what I mean by that is, for instance, when I sold my company, I was still the CEO. I had a CTO and a COO. So I had a, a technology guy and an operations person. And part of that, that they like to see in, in the sale was the fact that those two people, I had locked them in for at least two years. So that even if I went away, they were staying on and they could keep running the business. How, um, how, did, now how did you in, lock them in for two years? So what I did was uh, I gave them a bonus that pays out after two years. Oh, uh, that's and if great. they're not here after <laughs> two years, they don't get that bonus. And that's the bonus is pretty significant. Um, yeah. In the case of these individuals, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars yeah, because I want them there and I want them helping me hit my earnout target. So yeah. when you do your deal and you sell it, there's usually two parts of your deal, right? You may get a cash offer for some amount. And then you're going to have another portion, which is called the earnout. And that earnout can be anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. I've seen some as far as five years. Um, and that is kind of your golden handcuffs. You'll hear this talked about that way. So in my case, the way I structured my deal, um, they originally came and said, hey, we want to do this deal with you. We're willing to pay you X dollars. We'll give you 80% of the cash up front and we'll give you 20% after two years if you hit these numbers, right? And so as part of the due diligence, they had to look at all my books and my accounting and they said, what is your projections for the next three years? I said, okay, this year I did you know, 7 million. Next year, I'm going to do 10 million. The year after, I'm going to do 14 million. And they said, okay, well, if you actually do the 10 and the 14 you say, then we'll pay you this total price. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then we're only going to pay you this price, right? Half of that, right? Or whatever it was. Yep. And so as part of the negotiation, we came up with the number we were all happy with. And that earnout um, is, you know, I have to work for the company for two years and I get a salary that we negotiated as part of this. And if we hit the numbers that I said we were going to hit, uh, then I get that earnout bonus, which is you know a couple of million dollars extra that gets thrown on me, right? And so what I did was out of that couple of million dollars that we're getting, I took a part of that and told my two team members, and I said, hey, look, you two are the most important people in this company to me right now. 
to make sure that we continue to go because your leadership. And if I leave or I die or whatever happens in the next two years, I want to make sure you still run this. So my wife and my kids get the extra earnout, Right. And I said, if you hit those numbers, I'm going to share it with you. And here's the amount you're going to get. And so that's how I kind of um, golden handcuff them to stay in. Now, could mm-hmm. they leave tomorrow? Sure. But they are now thinking in their head, if I leave, I might be giving up the money of a house, right? You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? So it's, it's, it's pretty enticing for them to stay by and they love the company anyway, and they've helped build it for the last three or four years. And so they want to stay on anyway. So, so that's how I've done that. And that to the buyers looked really good because they said, Oh, even if Jason's not here, this lady and that man are already here and they already know how to run the business and how to run the tech. We can figure out the rest with Jason. And then the other part was for me, I didn't want to remain a CEO. When you do your sale, They'll give you the option uh, either to bring in their own CEO or have you stay on as CEO uh, and continue to run your company. In my case, I sold because I wanted to go do other things and I didn't think I had the skill set to take us from where we were to the next level, right? Like, I think our company could get to 100 million a year in revenue. I don't think I'm the guy to do it though. And so they brought in a professional CEO and they said, you know, you can help pick one. And if, if you're good with that, we'll bring in a CEO. And I was very happy to do that. And they brought in a fantastic uh, woman who is now leading our company and she has been since May. Um, and she's doing an amazing job. She is much, much smarter than me. Uh, she's got, you know, a master's degree from Harvard and another one from Stanford, like super well-educated, really, really smart uh, and really doing a lot of great things at our company. And so in addition to being able to hit the numbers that I think we were going to do based on where our projections were, she's now come in and already ramped up things even further, which helps us hit our numbers even faster, right? So I was really happy with that. And um, there was a transition period for about three months where she came in and I had to teach her what I was doing because she didn't know our business or our mm-hmm. industry. But now that she has, she's been running it nonstop by herself for the last you know three or four months. And I'm really hands-off on that. And I can focus on my role as doing instructor and teaching students and teaching my other instructors how to teach better. Love it. All right. (laughs) Next point, the tech. So this is interesting. I didn't know this one at all. So you're saying, listen, you've got an online course business, but you're running everything off Teachable, Thinkific, MailChimp, ActiveCampaign, whatever it is. That's a no-go with selling the business, is it? It's not a no-go, but it's going to give you lower valuation, right? Because it's all, it's, it, it's what it comes down to. If you ever watched Shark Tank, you've heard them say, how defendable is this, right? Uh, if you have a brand new idea, like, hey, I have an online fitness course, like you do, right? Um, what stops Jason from creating Jason's online fitness course? I could do the exact same thing you're doing and just go on Teachable or Skillable or, or, or uh, you know, Skillshare or Udemy or whatever. I can film some videos, which as we know nowadays, you can do with a headset like this for a hundred bucks and a webcam for a hundred bucks and my laptop computer. The barrier to entry is really, really low. Mm-hmm. And so what makes your company different? Um, a, it's your teaching. B, it's your personality. But if you're selling, you're not going to stay. What else do you got? Because we may be removing Jonah's personality because we're replacing him with Jason who just bought the Mm -hmm. company, right? And so that's the kind of things you're looking at is what makes you different? What makes you special, right? And if you have a name like, you know, onlinefitnesscourse.com and you have a trademark and a copyright, that helps. If you have a website that's custom made as opposed to just a, I mean, how how much time does it take us to create a teachable site, right? Mm A couple of minutes, maybe an hour or two, right? I could could be up by tomorrow with an online course if I wanted to. It's not that hard these days. And so they want to see what you're doing that's different different that is defendable, right? And so in our case, we were working on building an LMS. Uh, We're a certification company. So we teach a lot of certification exams, which is very much ABCD questions and multiple choice, multiple select, things like that. Well, a lot of the exam software out there is pretty Mm -hmm. bad inside Mm -hmm. of Teachable and Thinkific and and a lot of these, right? Uh, Kajabi and all of them. I haven't found a a single one that's good. Um, The best I found is Brilliam, and that's still pretty crappy to be quite honest. So what we've done is we've spent the time the last six months, we've built our own um, 
educational uh, exam preparation software. And so that now gives us value in the company because that software could be rolled off of this company and turned into a SaaS product. And I could yeah. sell it to every other online course maker out there for 99 bucks a month. And that becomes a value add. So yeah. that was something they, they liked because we had this proprietary tech. We had a proprietary business model that's different than a lot of other people out there. And so that was attractive to them. Uh, and then we had a really good sales and reputation. So a lot of the value of what I sold was actually the name and the yeah. reputation of Dion Training. Because if you go on Reddit and you search for Security Plus, you say, which course should I take for Security Plus? Every time within the first three comments, Jason Dion comes up or Dion Training. And so that's what they were paying for was knowing that people know and love our brand and our reputation. Uh, if nobody knew who I was, nobody, I wouldn't have as much value, right? And so ultimately I was able to sell for a much higher valuation because I was the last one in the space that was up for sale that had a good reputation. I had a good reputation. I had proprietary tech. I had shown that I can do this with three other instructors. I've shown how I can take this low cost model on Udemy and the high cost model on Dion training and make them both work at the same time. And all of those things went into this valuation. So instead of being able to get a three X on my valuation, I was able to get a six, seven, eight X valuation uh, as I was you know, playing these different three people against each other of who was going to buy us. That's great. And then the last yeah. one you mentioned was subscription model and B2B. Yes. I think that kind of makes sense as well, because if you just sell on the one-off courses, anything could kind of happen tomorrow. If you've got that subscription model, you know, you've got at least some recurring revenue coming in. And yep. yeah, and I guess the, the B2B is just the higher, the higher one-time purchase. Is that what that's about? Yeah. So for us and our company, we don't actually do a subscription model. Um, it'd be great if we could, we used to, um, but we had some changes because of the certifications we teach. We have to follow the rules of those providers. And one yeah. of those providers is Axlos and PeopleCert. And they have a rule that any training you sell has to come with the exam voucher. So if I'm going to sell a $10 oh, yeah. a month subscription to yeah, all yeah, of my yeah. stuff, and as soon as you log in, I have to give you a $400 yeah, voucher. Yeah. That don't work, right? Yeah. So we said, nope, not doing that anymore. So when they made that change in 2019, we also made the change and, and, and took away our subscription. So everything we do is an individual purchase now. Okay. Um, but if you have a subscription model, I know many people who have subscription model businesses and they can say, look, I've got a monthly recurring revenue of $10,000 a month. I'm making yeah. 120 grand a year. And so if I lose one customer at $10 a month, it ain't going to affect much, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas me, I'm selling individual purchases. So every month I start at zero and have to work my way back up to that million dollars a month that we're trying to hit. And then I get, you know, tomorrow is the 31st. The next day is the first. We're back at zero and we start that climb again, right? Um, and, and so that is, is a much harder sell. Uh, when you have recurring revenue, they're going to look at, uh, from a subscription model, they're going to look at two things, your monthly recurring revenue and your churn rate. If you have, you know, $10,000 a month or $20,000 a month, that's 120 or $240,000 a year. That's a, that's a good subscription model. But if you have a churn rate that is 90% every month, you're really just selling a one-off product because nobody's staying, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I will tell you when we did a subscription, our average churn was around seven to eight months. Okay. Um, so if Pretty I got good. somebody for $10, that means I'm going to make $70 to $80 off that person. Mm -hmm. But if it cost me $100 to get them on a Facebook ad, that's not a good mm -hmm. model either, right? So you got to, mm -hmm. all these things factor into it and it's all going to be considered as part of the due diligence period. But the longer churn uh, rate, the, the slower the churn, I guess, that you know, the longer somebody stays with you and the more per month you charge, the better it's going to be uh, because it shows that, that longevity. And then from the B2B side, the reason why that is attractive is because businesses are lazy. Um, I don't know if you know this, but businesses tend to be lazy, especially corporate corporations, because they're so big and bureaucratic. So we have a lot of companies that we work with uh, over the years, and we've gotten up to about seven to ten percent of our businesses B2B now. We're trying to get that closer to like 50. So we're mm. we're slowly creeping it up, but it's taking a while. Um, and if I can get into somebody, like let's say I'm working for, I don't know, Google, right? Google might come and contract for me to get the certifications that I teach. 
Now to get, become a Google provider, you got to go through a background check. They've got to go through this, this due diligence. They got to make sure you're okay and, and that they're okay. And we're all going to work. We go through all the lawyers and the contracting and we get all that in place. And now I can sell to Google. Right. Uh, and so now that I'm in Google system, I may not get one client. I may get a hundred clients or a thousand clients. Cause they've got what? couple hundred thousand employees probably around the world, something like that. So, so that's why B2B is, is so attractive to a lot of these people and businesses tend to be less price sensitive. And so once they get a vendor and they're in there and they're happy with them, they just won't go back. They won't switch to somebody else. So we have several large customers that buy a hundred or 500 or a thousand courses per year from us. Um, and so if I can make that sale, uh, that's a lot better than me going and selling mm-hmm. to Jono or Jono's company who has Jono and three guys, right? Um, And and so I might give them a better discount because they're going to buy a hundred. I'll say, you know what? I'll give you 5% off or 10% off because that's still a better deal for me because I have to go out and find all those customers. Mm, That's great. I need a few more of those myself, I think. Uh, (laughs) All right, a couple questions. And and I think it really does depend on what your business model, right? If you're teaching piano courses like Doc does, probably going to be harder to sell that to Google. Uh, If you're teaching cybersecurity stuff, a little bit easier, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fitness one is an interesting one because it's kind of like- gyms are in the middle, you know, yes. you don't, cause I sell to personal trainers, you know, yep. and it's kind of like, say over there, you know, like there it probably could be done. You know, if you yep. get in a 24 hour fitness or you get in a, you know, gold's gym or, you know, yeah, so if you get to one of the big ones, you're good. Right. But try to get in there where they have, you know, 3000 locations, that's a really yeah. hard sell. Whereas most of the time you're probably selling to more like Jason's gym and it's Jason and his two instructors. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, all right. So a couple of questions for you here, Jason, I ask this question on every podcast. I might yep. ask it to you in two different ways. It's essentially, sure. what would you do differently? Let's, let's go two things though. Let's say, what yep. would you do differently at the very start, knowing the trajectory yep. that you know now, when you first started, what would you do differently? But also, if you can, maybe let us know about, I don't know if you can do this, but about the yep. sale. If you're like, now that yep. I've actually sold it, if I just did this one thing different, I would have got a bit yep. more, or it would have been a bit easier or whatever. So what yeah, can you so, tell us uh, From the beginning, uh, I think the first thing is I would have made a decision if I was going to have a lifestyle business or a um, sellable business. Yeah. Uh, when I started this, that's I not, never but that, thought but that's hard at, that's, that I could uh, sell. That's so hard at the start, right? Right. But you know, you said knowing what I know no, now, right? Yeah, and yeah. and what I'm saying is like, I didn't even, like, I'd never seen other people who did this that were able to sell it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I never, I always thought about, you know, a, a, a online course as a individual personal thing. It's me on the screen. Yep. There's no way I'm going to sell this. I'm just going to do this for five, 10, 15, 20 years. Yep. I want to get a real job. I can go travel. I can enjoy my life off we go. And that's how I set up my business because of that. Mm. If I ever thought that I would have the chance, uh, like, as I said, when I started this, my goal was five to $10,000 per month. Yeah. So if I could have gotten to a hundred thousand a year, I would have been like success. I'm done. Right? Mm. And that, that's where I was. Um, but the business just kept growing and, and it wasn't because of things I did. It's just, I had, I, apparently people just liked the way I teach uh, or taught. Uh, and so they kept buying it and telling their friends, I, I did not spend a dollar in marketing until 2020. Yeah. Um, and I started my business in 2016. So by the time I did that, we were already over seven figures a year. I was already making over a million dollars a year. And the only reason I started doing ads is because 2020 happened in COVID and everybody went online and got out of the in-person schools. I was like, mm. well, crap these guys aren't already online. I'm already online. I already know how to do this. Everybody else is struggling to figure out how do you take this in-person thing and do it online. So we just started doing Facebook ads and it was immediately converting because we were a third of the price of the live trainers, yeah. uh, you know, a third or a fourth of the price. We had a higher quality. We had a higher pass rate. And so I was like, let's just throw some money at it. And we, and we did some ads and that helped boost, boost us a little bit more. But up until the first four or five years, I never did ads. I just did, you know, for me, it was serve my students and let them go out and spread the word. And they were the, you know, the gospel adjacent and they, they went out everywhere and told everybody, which is great. Um, and I never even asked them, they just did it on their own. So if I was going to change, having known that I would want to one day sell, or at least, um, 
thinking that maybe one day I will want to sell. Um, I think creating a name that you can trademark is is vital uh, and having a name and a brand associated with it as opposed to being Jono or Jason, right? Mm -hmm. So like I said, when I started out, I was jasondion.com. All my handles were at Jason Dion. Um, don't recommend that. Uh, if you ever want to have a sellable business one day. Now, if you know for certain you will never, ever sell your baby uh, and you were always going to do it and you're always going to be there, then that's fine. Don't worry about that. But I will tell you, uh, I started a new business uh, and I have done just that. So if you go look at my new business, every social media is at Accolade Certified, which is the name of my company, Accolade. Uh, Accolade is spelled a little weird. It's A-K-Y-L-A-D-E. Uh, and the reason that it is spelled weird and not like Accolade, like applause, right? Uh, is because I want to be able to trademark the name. Yeah. And if I had a name like Cookie or Dog or Puppy, yep. you can't trademark it. Or, but if you have Puppy gonna, spelled funny, you can. <laughs> I was going to add on that. Or Fitness Education Online. I can't trademark general. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So for, yep. for the listeners, just because I didn't know that at the start, I was like, yeah, trade yep. market. And they're like, no. So for the listeners listening there, like a name like fitness education online, it's just too general. You can't trademark a name that's kind of like people could just genuinely be looking for fitness education online. I have a friend who owns videoschool.com and videoschoolonline.com. Yep. And neither of those can be trademarked because yeah. it is just too generic. Right. Um, and, and that's why Dion training, I could trademark that. Um, and we did, and we own the trademark and, and we have the copyright on the name and the logo and all that. And that was sold as part of the brand, uh, as well as all of our social media handles for Dion training. Um, but for the new company, we own the trademark for accolade. We own the copyright, uh, for that as well as our logo and all the social media handles and all that kind of stuff. So we, we own all that. And that becomes a sellable asset later on, because when I built this new company, we built it from the ground up with the idea of we're going to sell this thing in the next five, 10, 15 years. Um, and so one of the things you'll see is you don't see me or my co-founders faces all over it. It's not yeah. a personal brand. We wanted to make it about the company, not about us, because we want to remove ourselves so we can sell it. Now that means we're going to grow a little bit slower. It's going to be a little more challenging, but we have a higher exit later on. So that, that's kind of what we're thinking about. Um, the other thing I would, I would say is take the time to do the legal stuff properly as you go. Um, in the tech world, we call this tech debt. Uh, and I don't know if you have a similar concept in, in the, uh, the fitness space, but you know, if I am building a new website, right, I can build it and get it out there today, but it may not be the most secure, may not be the most yeah. beautiful, may not work the best. And then you go, oh, you know what? Tomorrow we'll go back and we'll fix those images. The next day we'll go back and fix the text. And you start going back. And if you don't do that often enough and you wait a year, your website just starts falling apart from all the changes, mm -hmm. right? And so I think starting with the end in mind is important and knowing what you're going to build. Um, that being said, I'm not a big fan of trying to build the 10 year out solution today, uh, build what you need today, but just build it in a way that you can expand it later and, and keep working. And then yeah. every, you know, three months or so take a pause for a week or two and look at your set, your setup and go, what do I need to document? What is working? What is not? Because most of us as small business owners, we're so busy doing that. We never yeah. stop and look at our business and go, what can we do better or more efficiently? Or have I documented this? Because again, if I get hit by a bus, how is somebody going to come in here and, and serve my students, right? Um, you know, in my case, I was married to my wife and she was working in the company. So if I got hit by a bus, she could at least run the company, but she couldn't teach because she wasn't the teacher who knows this, who knows this stuff, but she ran a lot of the back end, So she could still keep the company going, but no new content would have been created. So I think those are things you want to think about is, you know, uh, do you want a lifestyle business or not? If you mm -hmm. don't want a lifestyle business, definitely pick something that can be trademarked, uh, get a name that you can spell weird. Uh, there's a reason why everything is Spotify and mm -hmm. Shopify and all of mm -hmm. those, 
and it's not shop.com. The reason is Shopify can be trademarked because it has the IFI in the end or IFY in the end, right? And that's why we had spelled accolade the way we did. It's a little bit funny, um, but it allows us to trademark it and own it. And that meant all the social media handles were open too. And the .com was available mm-hmm. and all that other great stuff. So I've got a seven letter .com domain name, which is really hard to find nowadays in something that is pronounceable. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. Uh, in terms of the sale, anything yeah. that like from that point, where you're like, all right, if I could just go back and do the sell again, if I did this one thing differently, it would be better. Can you say that or? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think one thing that I did well uh, that I would recommend anybody else do is get a good business broker. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people, like when you go to sell your house, they try to sell their house by themselves to save the three or 5% real estate commission. Mm-hmm. And they end up losing, you know, thousands of dollars because they could have sold it more with an agent and in less time. Yeah. Right. Um I was very lucky in this case because I told you I had somebody who approached me about a year earlier and made an offer and the company and the broker who was representing them, he and I really got along. And so Mm. after the deal, we kept in touch. He's like, you know, don't worry this one. You end up not doing this when you're ready. Let me know. I'll help you sell it. I've got a whole Rolodex of people. Well, when I got this UFO offer from this company that I had never heard of said, Hey, we're interested in buying you. And here's what we think you're worth after that we had done some talks for a couple of weeks, I reached back out to my broker uh, and I said, Hey, what do you think? And he goes, well, can you tell me who the company is? I said, well, they said, I can't tell you yet. He goes, what's the first letter? I'm like, the letter is this. He goes, Oh, is it this company? I'm like, yeah. How do you know? He goes, Oh, I know they're looking in your space and they want you. I'm like, well, here's what they offer. He goes, yeah, I think I can get you more. Uh, he's like, give me 24 hours. And like literally overnight, he was able to get the offer increased by about 30 or 40%, just because he yeah, had a personal right. connection with them and knew them. And knew what I was worth and what they were looking for. And so having the person and having the right person who knows this area is is so valuable. And then after they came back, I was like, that sounds like a pretty good offer. He's like, give me another 24 hours. And we were able to get even more out of it, right? So so by the time we were done, our initial offer they gave me when it was them talking to me directly versus what I ended up selling for was about 70% more uh, by the time I was done. So almost 70% more. Yeah, it was almost double by the time we were done. Um, Now he charges me, you know, he he made uh, 5% on the sale, um, which is, you know, half a million, million dollars, whatever it was, right? Um, So he made good money on it, um, but he was worth it because he got me millions Mm. more than I would have gotten on my own. So a lot of times we think, hey, we're the business owner. We know the best. You don't know the best. And the other thing is you want to hire the right lawyers as you're going through this process because I hired the first lawyer I hired with somebody that was recommended who had already done the deal with this company before to go through the due diligence paperwork and everything. And I was having to basically play lawyer for this lawyer. Like I would get stuff back and the spelling was wrong. The grammar was wrong. Things were missing. And I'm like, after two days, I'm like, if this is what you're doing, I, I, you're not the right guy for me. So then I went back to my business broker and said, who do you recommend? He goes, oh man, you got to call my guy. He's, he's the best. And as soon as that guy got on, he, he made sure the whole thing got through. And I don't think we would have gotten to closing without the broker and without that lawyer um, because they really did drive the deal because I don't do this on a daily basis. This is yeah. my first company I ever sold. These yeah. guys do this day in and day out, right? Just uh, another Tuesday for them, right? For you, for you, yeah, it's, it's like, another, you know, sold, for them, it's, it's, for me, it's like a life-changing you know? event. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so having that person who could drive and know exactly what they're looking for and where the the things are buried uh, and where things try to get hidden. Cause by the time you're done, you get this legal contract that's 50 pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one line can cost you millions of dollars if it's not yeah. done right. And then the other piece, uh, especially for my Americans in the audience, I know you're, you're an Australian, so I don't know your tax system, but the American tax system, depending on how you sell your company makes a difference. If yeah. we had one line in the contract, it would have been classified as income. And I would have been charged 37% of the sale. 
by my accountant and my lawyer catching that and they change it to a different thing. So instead of selling the company, we did an asset purchase agreement. And that means it's actually capital gains, which is only taxed at 20%. So that one change saved me 17%. And so on a million dollar sale, that would yeah. be $170,000, right? Yeah. So um, that lawyer was worth their money, right? Because the lawyer charged me, I think, fifty dollars or $80,000 for this deal. And that one change saved me several million dollars in yeah. taxes, right? So um, those kind of things are things you definitely need to look out for. Because, you know, a lot of times we're, we're wary about hiring professionals for this stuff. And I'm guilty of this in my own business. I'm like, I don't need to hire a marketer. I'll do it myself. I can set up my own email automations. When it comes to accounting and lawyers and taxes and selling, hire a good broker, hire a good lawyer, hire a good accountant. You need those guys on your team. They'll make sure you're taken care of. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, Jason, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover for today. Um, there's going to be, be a lot of people listening to this that are like, all right, this guy's inspirational. I want to follow him. I want to <laughs> see what he's up to. Where do we go to follow you? Yeah. So uh, if you want to follow me personally on most of the social uh, medias, I'm Jason Dion. So you can find me pretty easily. Uh, my website for the company is DionTraining.com. And if you want to see what I'm doing with my new business, it's called Accolade.com, A-K-Y-L-A-D-E.com. We are a certification exam provider. So we create the textbooks and the exams for IT and cybersecurity certifications. And we have a network of authorized training providers. And if you happen to be in the cybersecurity space or IT space and you teach online courses and you want to teach accolade certifications, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're bringing on a bunch of uh, new trainers and providers. Uh, we have a one of the best um, ATP programs, I think, in the certification industry. The reason I started this company was because as somebody who was teaching IT certifications before, I was very frustrated with the way a lot of the other companies have done it. And so we made it a very trainer-first model to really take care of you and make sure that your business will survive and not put a lot of onerous burden on you. So if you're interested in that, uh, accolade.com or accolade certified at any of the social medias, uh, A-K-Y-L-A-D-E certified, uh, you'll be able to find us everywhere. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the sale, Jason. Super inspirational. Um, you obviously put a lot of work in and it's paid off. Anything you want to, anything I should have asked you but forgot to, or anything you want to finish us off with? Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest thing uh, that I would say is in your business, a lot of times we are afraid of hiring people. Um, and sometimes we wait too long to hire people. I, I know I personally did. I didn't hire my first employee until about two years into my business. Had I had done that earlier, I would have probably been, you know, two or three X where I am today, right? Because once I started hiring people on, that's when my growth really started scaling. And there's that old, uh, you know, saying, right? Uh, if you want to do it right, do it yourself. If you want to go big, do it together, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's, it, I probably screwed up the saying, but it's something like that. Uh, you know, teamwork does make it happen, right? Um, nowadays, we've got 25, 30 people on the team. We're constantly hiring more people. And that allows us to do so much more than I can do as a single person. There's only so many hours of the day. So don't be afraid to hire people. Um, and, and there's great labor all over the place. We hire from half of our folks are in the U.S half of our folks are outside the US. We've got people in India and the Philippines. We've got folks down in Egypt and over in Italy and all over the place. And um, there's great people all over the world. So, you know, if you think, hey, I can't afford somebody because I'm an American and I can't afford $50 an hour for this American, um, go look in India, go look in the Philippines, go, go look overseas. There's lots of great talent out there and it will really help you expand your business. And then the other thing is, you know, start with the end in mind. Think about where you want your business to be. Uh, and if you want to sell, you know, do the things that it's going to take to sell. Get yourself a roadmap and th start checking off things and get yourself down that road and you'll be ready. Uh, the final thing I would say is if you are thinking about selling, the sweet spot for selling is going to be somewhere between five and 10 million in top line revenue and one to 5 million in profit. Um, that is, you are big enough that you're interesting, but not so big that it limits the pool of buyers 
to only a couple of really, really big people like Facebook and Google and Amazon, right? So if you're in that range, a lot of private equity firms are going to be interested in you. And what they're going to be looking at is your profit margin. They're going to be looking at how much money you're making per year, how much you're generating per year. And they're going to be looking at um, what your growth is, right? So if you're you know, pretty flat for the last three years, that's not a good time to sell because they're going to drop you down on your valuation. If you're seeing, you know, like for us, we've been pretty much doubling our profits every year and we're between 50 and hundred um, percent. And so they saw this hockey stick growth curve. And so it's like really interesting. We're interested in buying that because we know we can do even more. Um, and, and so that's really what it's going to come down to for you. So good luck out there. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. All right, Jason, thank you for your time. Thanks, man. Hey, course creators, real quick before we get into today's episode, I've got a little favor to ask. As a lot of you are probably aware, one of my goals for this year is to get the, is to massively grow this podcast and get it to be one of the top ranking podcasts in the, the marketing space. Uh, to do that, what really helps is if I can generate as many uh, ratings as, as reviews as possible from listeners. So if you're a returning listener, if you could take a couple seconds and just give me a, a quick rating and review on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, that would mean the world, that would mean the world to me. Anyway, let's get to today's show. <laughs> 